0: We are, we're, we're coming to the end of this Christmas season, season you know, it, most of you know, but it, next Saturday, right, it's Saturday, next Saturday is Christmas, um, I should know the day, but uh, it's coming up, so <laughs> don't order anything else from Amazon, it's not going to come, uh, I mean, you can roll the dice, and then, you know, you can box up that Amazon receipt and say it's, it's in the mail, um, but my hope is that, that you're, you're getting your arms around this Christmas season, that you're getting your arms around preparations for family and friends and things like that. But I, my hope is that today we will, as we look at the Scriptures, uh, we will have an opportunity to remember that, that God is good and He's worthy of our praise. And I think that most of us, or many of us who attend church, would you know if if i sent out a questionnaire and it said is god worthy of praise yes or no i don't think i'd get very many no's back but there's something about the difference between knowing a truth and experiencing the truth and my hope is that as we as we look at this text and we reflect on on mary and her response to god that, that just the, the meditation on and the observation of, of her response will remind us of some things that will invite us to do the same. That we won't just know, yeah, check the box, yes, God is worthy of praise, but we will say, God, you are worthy of praise. I praise your name. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. You know, there was one part of that song where it talks about the the rocks and the the fields and everything crying out and praising God. And there's something so awesome to me to think about the fact that uh, nature and creation is already worshiping God. It doesn't take a day off. It's constantly worshiping God. And, you know, when we feel like we're really doing a great job of, you know, once a week we come and we pray and worship God or, you know, I'm praising God in my car. And the rocks are like, I do this all the time, you know? But there's something so awesome about stepping into the stream of God's creation as it praises Him. So I want to invite us into that. We're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Uh, And it's a long text, and I'd considered reading it myself, but I really think this is something that we ought to read together. It's going to be a beneficial thing. So if you'll stand with me. We're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through uh, 55 together. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us and that you have shown that love again and again and again. And God, I thank you that you take those who the world sees as in a place of humiliation and, 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 and lowliness and you exalt them. And you take those who would try to trust in their own strength, their own ability, their own wealth, their own gods, and you bring them to a place of recognition that they are not God. God, I thank you that you have shown us in your mother, Mary, the mother of of Jesus Christ, that, that we can praise you for the mighty and wonderful things you have done. Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I recognize that God is, uh, Jesus, uh, Mary is not the mother of God the Father. I'm just going to throw that out there for anyone who's keeping track. And maybe heard my prayer and they're like, wait a second. He, she is the mother of Jesus. Um, and if you have a problem with that, It's in the Bible, and if you're confused by that, welcome to the rest of us. Um, So, in this passage, Luke is giving, really, an account of a storytelling of of the, the, it's the origin story of Jesus Christ, right? And and so, we have this this section in, in verses 5 through 25, where... The birth of Jesus' cousin John the Baptist is foretold, foretold. and and so G, John's cousin, or sorry, Jesus's cousin John, is uh, he's going to be born to this this couple, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're older, and by that I mean older than one would expect for uh, parents to have children. They're they're outside of the age, they they're they've aged out. They've moved on. But God wants to show something about His power and His strength and His ability, and so He comes to Zechariah, who had been praying and asking for a child, and he, and and through the angel Gabriel, He says, "You are going to have a child." Now Zechariah doesn't really respond well. He'd been praying and asking God, and God effectively says, "Yes," and then He says, "How am I going to know?" And and so God through through Gabriel says, "Well, you're going to be quiet now," <laughs> and and He's struck mute until John is born because of His. Really, his, his unbelief. Then in, in verses 26 through uh, uh, 45, we see that, that um, the birth of Jesus is foretold. So Gabriel goes to Mary and in a very similar fashion expresses that God is going to do an amazing thing through you. You are going to bear a child even though you are a virgin, even though you are uh, you know, a chaste young lady. And she's like, well, I've been to high school how is that going to work? And, and so he explains, well, God is going to do this. It's going to be a miracle. And so unlike Zechariah, she asked how, but she's talking more mechanics than anything. And, and she says, ultimately, you know what, that, that's fine. In verse 38, she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. So this young, young, young lady responds with a great deal of faith. And so Mary goes and visits her, her cousin Elizabeth or, uh, yeah, uh, and, and they spend some time together. And, and as Mary comes and interacts with, or, or comes face to face with Elizabeth, Elizabeth, who is now pregnant, the baby jumps in her womb and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says this uh, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed are the fruit. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. She understood because of the leap of the baby that there was something special about Mary. And she goes on and says, and Blessed is she who believed. <laughs> that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Which is both, uh, you know, blessed is God, but also a little bit of uh, shade on her husband, Zechariah, who did not. um, Just saying, if you go back and and you look at what Gabriel says to Zechariah, he basically says, you didn't believe what was spoken to you. And here she's saying, blessed are you, Mary, because you did believe. For those who are keeping track. Okay. So in response to that, Mary sings this song or she she says this song. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's it's a poetic uh, expression, much like a psalm. And we're going to see three things I think that we can observe. We're going to observe the object of Mary's praise, the person that she directs her praise toward, right? The object of her praise. We're going to see the characteristics of those who praise God. She's going to talk about what Someone who praises God looks like. And then finally, we're going to talk about the reasons for her praise. And ultimately, I think it's the reason for our praise this Advent season. For, for Mary, the coming of Jesus Christ could have been very, very traumatic. It could have been very, very painful. And in some ways, it probably still was. It could have been very, very uh, demeaning in, in the society that, oh, It's a miracle. Is that what we're calling it now? right? And and people would have treated her that way, and yet here she is, really on the precipice of of her future, and she's embracing it with a whole heart and praising God. And family, whatever the case may be about your life and your circumstance and your situation, whatever real difficulties you may be facing... Whatever challenges you may be experiencing, whatever sins may, may need to be dealt with in your life, there's still opportunity for praise. Yeah. And we're going to see that this Advent season is a moment to praise God for the great things that he has done for us. So let's, let's look at how she describes the object of her praise in verses 46 and 47. She says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. The pastor John Piper, I've heard him describe this idea of magnification because if you read that and you're like, magnifies the, you mean like, you know, I did with ants when I was a kid and magnified? No. It's, it's like a telescope, right? A telescope magnifies that which you're looking at and, and it brings it into focus. It makes something that's vast. And distant and gigantic, something that you can actually begin to appreciate. And so in her praise, she says, I'm magnifying the Lord. I'm bringing God into focus. I'm bringing God's awesomeness, His glory, His power into my, my, my field of vision. I'm going to worship the Lord. You know, in Hebrew poetry, they had parallelism. We have meter, you know, where it's like da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, A-B, A-B, or A-B-C, C-B-A, and, and that's rhyming patterns. Some of you are like, oh, is he okay? <laughs> I think he just broke. Um, but we tend to use rhyme or rhythm in our poetry. In Hebrew poetry, you, a lot of what's done is parallelism. So you get, you get this idea, and, and the, the writer will put the idea out there, and then they'll just kind of twist it for you a little bit. And so first line is they put it out there. Next line, they twist it. So you see kind of some different facets of what they're talking about. So listen with that in mind as you hear these two, two lines. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, subject, magnifies, verb, the Lord, object. My spirit, subject, Rejoices, action, in God my Savior, object. And so when we, when we look at that, she's trying to clarify, even in her poetry, what she's doing. My soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, Mary, how is it that you bring God into focus? How is it that you bring the Lord into focus? My, my spirit rejoices in God. You see, family, when we rejoice, when we praise God, we're not just doing some sort of perfunctory thing. We're bringing ourselves into a place where we can really bring God into focus. We can see him clearly. You know, sometimes we struggle to understand and appreciate God, not because we haven't been reading our Bibles or we don't know some of the things in Scripture, but because we haven't worshipped him. And it's, it's in worship and in praising God that, that all of a sudden, I understand. It's, that's a strange thing because there's not many things that, that we would, you know, you, you don't necessarily go to a frog in biology class and say, let me worship this and I can understand it better. But there is something about experiencing, to take, to, to take this analogy a little bit further, to, to experiencing you know, dissecting the frog, and, and you, you kind of know that frog in a different way afterwards, for better or worse, you know? When we, when we enter into worship, we are interacting with God in a way that, that goes beyond just reading empirical information about Him. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Who is she speaking of? The Lord that is a, that's a loaded term. This word Lord in the Greek, it's, it's brought over from the Hebrew word Lord, which is Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on you know, when you learned it. <laughs> but, but it's this word that God would use to describe himself that he gave to Moses. He said, he said to Moses when Moses asked, who, who should I say sent me as, he, as Moses was being sent to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God told him, I am who I am. I sent you. I am. Yahweh. And this idea of of his consistency, his faithfulness, his covenantal faithfulness, he was saying in that moment to Moses, I am who I will be for you. I'm covenanting myself. I'm committing myself in the deepest, most meaningful way I can. I'm committing myself to you, Moses, and to the people of Israel. I have committed myself to them. Right in, in in our time, we don't have a really great expression of that. Uh, the best we can get to is marriage, and even in marriage, we kind of we kind of feel like, well, you, I don't want to say we do, but the world feels like you can take it or leave it. But the way that God has established it, right, um, it, it's something that it's it's one and done, and and you stay together, and and that's supposed to be a picture of God, who is our covenant Lord. And so she says, "I, my soul magnifies who? My covenant, Lord, the one who has brought me into relationship with me, with him, the one who will not let me go, the one who loves me and has received me and has chosen me and has accepted me and will not let me go, because he is a faithful God, and he is faithful to his covenant." She goes on and she says, "My, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." So again, if we talked about that, that, that nuance that's being brought out, right? She says, my Lord, and then she, she shifts in and says, God, my Savior. Not only is God her Lord, the one who's sovereign, the one who's in charge, but she, he is her Savior, the one who saves, who delivers. And again, this idea of salvation, it speaks to the, the picture of deliverance, being taken out of of slavery, being taken out of oppression, being taken out of of, uh, this position of of lowliness and being brought into a a place of freedom and wholeness and and completion. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is the object of her worship. God is worthy of being our sole object of praise because every good thing comes from him. And she's going to She's going to reflect on that a little bit. But, but as we think of our own lives, we too can join in and worship God. Do you guys hear that? Okay, we're just going to pretend like something there. There's not a rat back there, so it's okay. That's all that matters. Um, God is worthy of being our own object of praise because he is good to us. In James, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17 the brother of Jesus, says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James says, everything that's good or great comes from God who doesn't change. That is a reason to worship. The object of our worship is worthy of worship. There are so many things that we are happy to devote ourselves to that are not worth it. They're not worth it. What is serving as your functional savior today? What is that thing that you devote your time, your energy, your money, your affections to? You know, well, you know, I love my family and I go to church, but but I spend lots and lots of money and I spend lots and lots of time and my thoughts are focused all the time on this that is your functional savior you may not go to your closet and bow down to a picture of of your golf clubs but golf may be your functional savior if when you're stressed out and you're angry at your family and your your partners at work are driving you crazy and i just need to go get on the golf course then perhaps that's your functional savior you know, I just need, I just need to, to, to block everyone out and I want to listen to this album and it's going to make me feel better. I mean, maybe it's music. You know, It's not golf for me, but there have been seasons in my life where, where I identified so much with the music I listened to and I, and I sought to drown out, not, not to process the things in my life, but to escape from them through music or through Whatever is it a relationship? I just if I if I just had if I just had a boyfriend if I just had a girlfriend if I just had a spouse, then everything would be okay. You know, is it my is it your job? You know, I'll, I'll get to these other things, but I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to get to this this level of, of of success, and then I will do these other things. What is your soul magnifying? What is your soul bringing into focus on a regular basis? Where, do, where does your mind drift during the day? What's your functional savior? Although, although Mary plays a unique role, she's going to show us that God is worthy of being not only her object of praise, but our object of praise And she's going to show some characteristics of those who praise God that that she has in common with them. That that was a convoluted way of saying, we're getting to the next point. (laughs) So the characteristics of those who praise God, four things. They fear God. They don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. They recognize that they have need and they are part of God's covenant family. They fear God. They don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. They have need, and they are part of God's covenant people. Verse fifty. Look with me. He says, and it, or she says, and His mercy is for those who fear Him, from generation to generation. Now I've talked about this idea of fear. It is not. It is not a, you know, horror movie fear. This is not kind of, ooky, spooky creepy fear. This is this is the kind of fear that, that you come in contact to, with when you when you look up at a giant tree and you, you, your hands begin to sweat, or, or you're on a ropes course and you look down and you realize that gravity is very powerful and that uh, you should never have agreed to this team-building exercise. It's, it's, driving, it's driving west on seven. You know, my, my wife and I, we, our, well, our whole family, we took our kids too. Um, we moved We moved west. And, and you, we get to see these vistas that are awesome. And, and there's this one, one part of seven that goes downhill. I think it's either right as you enter, yeah, I think it's right as you enter Clark County. And it's fun and a little scary. And you're kind of just, you know, you're riding your brake the whole time because gravity's like, I want you, you know, come into the abyss with me. And your car's like, oh, I don't know. But there's something awesome about that. And it's just, and then you cross over the Shenandoah and you look and it's big. And you're small. You know, I remember being a kid and, and my dad, my, my grandfather, he, he used to fix like single prop airplanes. And he took me up in one. And the land just becomes like this like patchwork quilt. And, and there's something awesome about that. And these experiences are legitimate God-given experiences to give us a taste of what it means to fear God, what it means to stand before a holy, pure, full of integrity, powerful God, someone to whom we ought to devote every moment of our waking hour, and yet we recognize we, we fail that Every hour. He says, she says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Praise comes when we recognize that God is powerful and we are not. Right? It, it, it's, that, it's that near-death experience where you, you realize, I'm not dead. Yay! You know, if you're a Christian, praise God. If you're not, you're like, oh, hey, I don't know who I'm yelling at, but I'm yelling at someone. Fear expresses, this fear of God expresses a right orientation. Those who praise are those who fear. Those who praise are also those who don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. She you see this kind of, if you, if you read it, and I, I would encourage you to go back, she, she's got this kind of people who are proud, people who are you know, humble, people who are in, in high social statuses, people who are in low social statuses. She, she, she says in verse 51, he has shown strength in with his arm. How has he done that? He has scattered the proud, the thoughts of their, their hearts. She goes on. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, there's this, this interplay when it comes to God that it says in multiple places that God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. He opposes the proud and he exalts the humble. And, and that idea of being humble isn't just of, you know, well, I'm, you know, I don't talk about, the, the people you would say are humble, although that, that's included. This idea of humility, it's also an idea of Humiliation. You know, God God came and he clung to the Israelites when? When they cried out to him. When they were in a place of humiliation. When they, they said, we can't do anything. You know, uh, parents will know this because there, there's, a, there's a response that you have to your kid when they're acting like they know everything. And you look at them and they don't know everything. And they say something and you're like, that's, no." And they're like, yeah, no, it is. I saw it. I read it. It's awesome. I'm right. And you're like, you're four. You're so wrong, and you don't even know how wrong you are. I, I'm so much righter than you right now. Do you understand that I have, like, hundreds of years more right than you? And, and you, you realize you're arguing with a four-year-old. But anyways, <laughs> but there's that response. And then there's a response when they're like, daddy. And you're like, I love you so much. Your are Mama. And this this expression of need and a recognition that that hey you are four, and you know that you're four, and you know that you need help because you skinned your knee and you need a band aid and you know whatever else you know I kissed your boo boo or magic whatever uh, not magic but but the point is in that moment where that child recognizes who they are, there's this. This force that a parent has to, let me just scoop you up and help you. Now, I'm not saying that God is impatient and unkind and mean when we're proud. But he certainly doesn't want us to stay here. He opposes the proud. And the reality is we are not children. And, and he opposes those who stand in opposition to his leadership, his authority. God, God, praise comes up from those who, who don't think of themselves as awesome, but, but think of God as awesome. So she talks about those who, who think more highly of, of themselves than they ought to. Um, or those who don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. In 53, she says this, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And again, this sounds kind of mean if you're, you're like, what about the rich guy? But the, what I think she's getting at is this, this rich person represents someone who feels self-sufficient. He has filled the hungry with good things. Those who have need and know they have need, they're in a good position to interact with God. They're in a good position. Those who feel like they've got it all together, they don't. I don't need God good I've got I've got Bitcoin I don't know money stuff (laughs) those who praise God are those who have need and then finally those who praise God are those who are part of his covenant community he's helped his servant Israel in, in remembrance of his mercy and spoken to our fathers to Abraham to his offspring forever so she, she recognizes that God has, from the beginning, had a people with whom she, he, he, God has had a people with whom he is, um, has a special investment. Now that is not to say that God has said, you guys are out, only these people, because we see constantly through the Old Testament and then <laughs> with Paul and the Gentiles in the New Testament that, that God is constantly saying, come on in, there's plenty of room. But once you're in, once you're part of this covenant community, once you're part of this family, you're in. And those who are in, they know what it feels like to be part of the family, and they praise God. These are the characteristics of those who praise God. And then finally, she gives us the reasons for praise. And we can go back. We're going to go back and look at those texts again. The reasons for praising God. Now, now she has a very unique reason that none of us have. She's mother Mary. Yeah, right, the mother of Jesus Christ, none of us are that. That's okay. None of us need to be that. So she says in verse 48, for, uh, I, I praise God, basically, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. Right? Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. Um, she knew. She's blessed. She knew. She hasn't even had the baby, and she's like, this is good. This is good for me. Um, we're gonna keep going but beyond her reason we have our reasons as well and she, she broadens it she says you know what guys we all have reason to praise verse 49 for he who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name God has done great things God, I'm gonna say it again God has done great things it's super easy for us to forget what that God has done great things and he's done great things for you. He's done great things for you. He's given us mercy, verse uh, 50. He, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Who needs mercy? You do. I do too. We need mercy. Paul talks about it, how uh, someone in, my, in, our, in our church body gave me a, a mug that says... Um, It's got a picture of Santa Claus, a grumpy picture of Santa Claus, and it says, um, "You're all naughty," and then it has a reference to Romans. (laughs) I've been drinking out of that mug all week. Not, I'm not. It's just funny because it's true. We need mercy. We need mercy. That would be bad news if there wasn't mercy available to us. But it's good news because God is ready for those who are saying, "I need mercy." To what? Pour out mercy. God has mercy for you. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Not even just like one generation, but, but God is ready. and He's like, okay, guys, have some babies because I'm ready for mercy for them. Trust me, they're going to need mercy. I've seen you. Whatever you produce is going to need mercy. And, and he's ready to give out mercy generation to generation. Right? You, you've got a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. God's got a 100-year plan, 200-year plan of mercy. Mercy for your life. Did you blow it? Did you mess up? Did you disobey? Did you sin? God has mercy if you will come to him. Mercy. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. I think it's really funny that in the, in the Bible, God shows mercy through showing his guns. And if you're on, I don't know, it's a podcast. If there was a podcast, I'm not talking about guns, but I'm talking about muscles. But that's, that's, the, the, that's the, the, the metaphor that's used, right? He's like, come to the gun show. He has shown strength with his arm. That's, hey, yeah, it's, it's biblical, apparently. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God is strong, but he's not just strong, he's strong on your behalf. Right? It would be a scary thing if God was just strong and you didn't know where he stood as it related to you. Right? That's, that's a dangerous place to be. That's why it's so important to, to run to Jesus the, the, the way, the truth, and the life through which we come to know God because there's no other way. And, and every other way that we try to go, apart from Jesus Christ, God is strong, but he is not for us. God is strong, but he is our judge. But here we see that God is strong and he is for us. It's a reason to praise. He goes on and he says in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. Do you have need... Do you have need? God is ready to fill your needs. Now, if your, need, if your list of needs involves a Ferrari or like an iPhone 13, you know, I don't think that's on the list. It's a nice want. I'm not saying God won't give it to you, but he's not obligated to do that. God is he's faithful and he has obligated himself to meet those needs that he deems that we actually need. If you come to a place and you say, God, I need this, and he says, no, the answer is you didn't need that. Right? There were, there were Christian martyrs who died burning at the stake whom God met their needs. So if you have need, come to God and let him inform your need. He is faithful to provide finally it says that he has helped his servant Israel. Do you need help? You know, sometimes you get to a place in your life and you're like, I don't even know what to pray. Just God, please help. (laughs) Please help. I have prayed that prayer a lot. Please just, mm, mm, just help, you know. Parents, you've prayed that prayer. Just, uh, just help. Just help me. Just help them separately. Spouses, I mean, in, in all areas of life, you know, working with people because people are people. Mm, help me, Lord. You laugh because it's true. Yes, that's but my encouragement to you is not just to, to have that moment. <laughs> just, uh, you know, you're, but, but let that be an opportunity to pray and, and ask for God's help and, and believe that he will be helpful. Family, we've got, we've got reasons to praise God. As we, as we land this plane, what do you need this Christmas season? What do you what do you need this Christmas season? And if you're not really sure how to answer that, another way of putting it is, uh, what do you what are you longing for when the pressure hits? What are you longing for when the pressure hits? You know, is it, is it a moment of, of respite, of just silence? Is it, is it a, a reconciliation in a, in a relationship? Is it just a little bit more money before you get to Christmas? I mean, God, these, these things that you're, you're feeling a need for, they are all opportunities for you to come to God and ask. And, and you may or may not get the thing. But in that process, you will be given an opportunity to encounter and praise the God who has done great things in your life. We're, we're all experiencing pressure. We're all experiencing challenges. We're all going through difficult circumstances, some of them more, di- more dynamic than others. I don't mean to suggest that your life is easier or it's, you know, the, the, you, we're all kind of this level hard. Some of you are like here, some of you are here. But all of these things, wherever they hit, are opportunities intended by God to bring you to a place of of being humble, of recognizing who you are before God, of positioning you to stand before God whom you can fear, of recognizing that you have need. And if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior of recognizing that you are a part of his covenant community and it's a place where you can come to him and you can ask for help and then you can praise him because he is a good God and he has done great things. Family, God has done great things. The grace of which is is the celebration of Advent, sending his own son to, to really fix it all, to to live a perfect life of righteousness that you and I, we should have lived, we were called to live, we failed to live. But not only that, Jesus dying on the cross, a horrific, painful death, the most painful death one could ever experience, not just because it's a crucifixion, but because the wrath of God, his, God's perfect punishment over sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. None of us has experienced that. And he dies, he's buried And he rises again on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death and vindicating the fact that he is the Son of God and he he has authority to forgive sins. That is a great gift. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, that is a gift that God offers to you. If that's you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that if we will trust him, not, not our own ability to get to God, not not to say, God, if I will do these good things, then I will get good things. No, but to say, God, I, there's no amount of doing good that's going to get me into a place where I can be right, that I can be whole before you. But Jesus, I trust in you. If you, if you will trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is faithful and just to forgive. As Reggie comes up, we're going to pray. And uh, while well, all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If, if you're in this room and you, you need to trust in Jesus, the greatest gift, if, if you need to stop trusting in these functional saviors, running to things to, to kind of be a stopgap for your pain, and you need to trust in Jesus to take away your sin, take away the consequence of your sin, the punishment... The righteous judgment that's due because of your sin and you want to live a life that's committed to to God and his ways and purposes would you raise your hand there's nothing magical in the raising of the hand it's just a a way of responding if you're online you can let one of our hosts know and if that's you just pray this God I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you Jesus Christ I trust in you And I ask that you, you would help me to live a life that's worthy of the salvation that you have won for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Family, I love you. Merry Christmas. It's going to happen.